Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam, today's a sad day. Yeah, we're going to talk about some death um, in this one. There's going to be some extermination. There's going to be um, some, some folks who do not make it out of this one alive. Uh... But I think our spirits will make it out of this alive a lot more than they made it out of the last episode. So we got that going for us, which is nice. <laughs> yes, I know we're talking about death this week, but it's actually kind of a, a respite from uh, talking about axes last week. So plus, no, nobody in comics ever really stays dead except maybe Thunderbird. <laughs> like Thunderbird. Who okay, who? Thunderbird came back in Chaos War for a hot second, and he right. came back in Necrotia. In Necrotia for a hot second, and I think that's it. But yeah, here's the thing: I've got, I've got a, a picture of of John Proudstar right over there on my wall. It's the cover mm-hmm. of Giant Size X Men number one. John Proudstar wasn't in that issue. None of us would have cared. <laughs> he just, he's just. He didn't He's have his time to shine, buddy. He really didn't, you know. It's a I crime. Mean, he attacked a buffalo. That was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, he then attacked an airplane, and that ended poorly for him. So he... John... He and Banshee have that in common. <laughs> Banshee was there, too. Banshee's literally saying there, as John Proudstar is punching Count Nefarious' escape plane, <laughs> saying, John, you idiot, don't punch a plane. Anyway, Banshee gets punched by a plane later and dies. But it is um, it is ironic that remember. Banshee then later dies from a plane. Yes. Just, yep. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just some weird synchronicity there. Anyway, uh, they're not the characters that are going to die this week. Uh, Though Jimmy Proudstar we... is. Is Jimmy in? Yeah, Jimmy's in this. Oh. Is, yeah, yeah. He's in the first story we're going to talk about. He has, I think, zero lines. Okay. But he is in it. Um, and this first story was not, uh, one of the ones that was recommended by our Patreon supporter, uh, Matthew Thornton. Uh, Matthew Thornton's actually going to close out the episode, uh, with his story, but we wanted to give some context to this yes. first, uh, which is why, uh, we are starting with Death of X. Uh, that came out in 2016. Uh, it's written by Jeff Lemire and Charles Soule. Uh, Aaron Cooter is the uh, main artist on the book, uh, but for issues three and four, he is supported by Javier Garon mm-hmm. uh, and like a lot of anchors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay Lysthin. Oh, not, not a ton of anchors. Well, I guess Cam Smith and Scott Hanna jump in for a bit. A lot of colorists on some of mm-hmm. these issues. Yeah, I mean, you can tell they're making it to print, but uh, the book looks great uh, throughout. I think, um, I don't know, you a fan of Aaron Cooter? I think he is a really good artist. I like Aaron Cooter. Uh, He's not my, 
He's not my favorite in this particular one. I think he draws some stuff a little too soft hmm. uh, on here. But I, I generally do like Aaron Cooter. Uh, I know he did uh, he did a stint on Guardians of the Galaxy not too yes. long after this with yep. uh, who did that? Uh, Jerry, Duggan? Uncle Jerry, Jerry Duggan. He yeah. did he did a run with him that was great. He recently did a story the king in black tie into immortal hulk which was phenomenal was, i read well, i was gonna say he's like leveled up i mean if you look has, at that immortal hulk tie-in issue that is outstanding that immortal hulk tie-in is a silent issue set at christmas uh and it's an immortal hulk comic so it's gross uh <laughs> and i did read it with my then four-year-old son and he hmm. calls it the bone and guts comic <laughs> I figured, what's what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to be like, ew, ucky. Like, kids like the Garbage Pail Kids, right? That's the same deal. Just body horror. Just a little bit of body horror for the kids. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I feel like there's some, some body horror aspects to Death of X uh, because we are dealing with uh, the after effects, yet again, of the Terrigen Mists. So... Let's put this in publishing context because there are two different tales of Death of X. One mm. of which is Death of X as a standalone four-issue miniseries. One of which is Death of X as the the answer to about a year and a half of plot that had been going on in the X books at the time in a very frustrating year and a half of plot that had been going on in the X books at the time. This comes out in October of Mm -hmm. 2016, and it is more or less a prequel to... Well, no, I say more or less. It's exactly a prequel to Extraordinary X-Men, Bun's Uncanny X-Men, the Bun-Canny X-Men, if you will, uh... Uh, Dennis Hopeless's all new X Men, uh, all of that stuff that came out of Secret Wars. This is what Cyclops did and why he's so hated and why he's dead and why the Inhumans are okay with their genocide cloud. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that this comes out almost directly right ahead of ivx ivx starts so, the week after this ends ivx right. zero so we've been waiting for this answer you know because it has been built up so much after secret wars that cyclops has done something horrific he's, he's being compared to hitler he's right he's being compared to hitler it's, i want to be it's, clear that specific line comes from amadeus chow who is what the seventh smartest man in the world and also a stupid idiot he is both <laughs> at the same time um and not even close to involved in any of this so maybe he's getting his information fourth hand but yeah but still a lot of expectations going into this series as to what the uh, sort of crimes against the world could be that Cyclops did. And uh, as we find out, I I think you're making an important distinction. If he took the series by itself, it's one thing, but putting it in the context, I don't think that a lot of readers got what they expected out of this series. Yeah. It's, it's a hard read in context. I think I want to say out of, 
like if you just look at these four issues as a standalone, I think you have a solid, if not like amazing story. Like it works. It is about Cyclops finds out that there is a ter- the Terrigen myth is a death cloud for all mutants, uh, and says no, we're not going to deal with this. If the Inhumans aren't going to do anything about it. We're going to tell everybody that this is very bad and we are going to stop it because it's killing mutants. And if Cyclops has done one thing for his whole life, it's not kill mutants. Uh, And he does all this, gets uh, one of the two Terrigen Mist clouds. We we did not know that there was a secret second cloud. There's there's two two clouds. It had never come up before. It was never brought up again. Uh, But he does use... uh, alchemy from the create a character issues of x factor uh we should run that back for one second adam do you want to explain the background of alchemy well alchemy is featured in a two issue arc of x factor um alchemy is an interesting character because he he's basically you know his human mutant power is alchemy he can turn things into gold um, he is pursued then by like trolls, if I remember correctly. They're yeah, notably Walt Simonson trolls. Yeah, it's Walt, Walt Simonson and notably Art Adams, or excuse me, it's Wheezy and um, that's right, and Art, Art Adams. Adams. Excuse me, I was yeah, thinking, Art, I was thinking Wheezy. I was thinking exactly that time, and I was thinking trolls. So I immediately yeah, went to Walt. So you know, obviously, like peak, uh, you know. Art Adams, Simonson stuff in there, but uh, he was also the result of a, a contest, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a mail in your ideas for a new mutant and we'll put them in the X Men. Uh, anyway, Alchemy dies after turning the Terrigen cloud into red smoke. Uh, and then Cyclops is like, friggin', we're gonna do it to the other one too because you guys are literally gassing us to death. And like, stop and then black bolt assassinates him um and then at the funeral we find out oops it was all a trick because scott really died on your island a couple pages into the book and emma frost has been going through a crisis of faith and psychically projecting scott into everyone's minds which i think is actually a super interesting story and i hate everything that happened after that um, because they, instead of making Emma complex, make her a mustache twirling villain for no reason. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we've said it before, but this is a very, very difficult needle to thread. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have all of this expectation going into this series. People want it to be extremely um, impactful to what's going to be happening going forward with the line and provide explanations that it just can't. So we, you know, get exposed to all of these explanations. And I think the other thing that is not helped by this book is that if you were on social media, when this book came out, people, people guessed, and if you're, you know, an intelligent reader, you will probably pick up on the fact that Cyclops is dead before you get to the climax, the, the end of the book. But if the, you, for whatever reason, were not, you know, 
catching that as you went along. If you were also on social media, that was definitely something that was going to get spoiled for you. So there really is no shock factor at the end of the book, except for Havoc, who's learning about this, you know? It's frustrating because on one hand, I think it's actually a sign of a good story that you're able to look at it and see the foreshadowing and understand what's going to happen. I feel like that's not necessarily a bad thing. I do think that social media has a tendency to take assumptions of truth and of this is what's going to happen as hard fact. And that can, that only has one of two impacts. A, it hampers down any idea of, you know, this is, it it takes away the shock if it's right. Mm -hmm. And that can be a good or bad thing. That's a whole other discussion. But if it's wrong, then you get the uh, Mephisto problem from WandaVision, where for no reason, (laughs) everyone assumed Mephisto was going to be. And he's spoilers not. for WandaVision, I guess. I assume if you cared about spoilers for WandaVision that you weren't on social media. Hey, I mean, I'm the guy that spent, you know, a good chunk of time this afternoon getting excited about the fact that apparently Ursa Major is going to appear in Black Widow. Now, no, when no, what you need to, to that's not what that's not what <laughs> second best Hellboy actor David Harbour said. He said the Winter Guard would be there. Uh <laughs> He names Ursa by name. Oh, does he? I missed that. In Never his mind. Instagram. This rules. This rules. Yeah. Never mind. I'm 100% wrong. Never mind. I now want to see Black <laughs> Widow opening day. $30 Disney Plus. Here you go. Because I do want to see a movie with Ursa Major in it. I mean, we have to, we have to, you know, take a deep breath and realize that Ursa Major may just be like his dog or something. Because hey, we, hey, we Adam, know the Adam, MCU Adam, doesn't like to do things fun. Okay, but... Also, one of the most popular characters in the MCU is a raccoon. <laughs> That's true. So, so far be it from me to assume that, yeah, they just put the bear in there. <laughs> um, but to your point, uh, Ursa Major aside, you're absolutely right. You know, And I think that no matter what this series did, no matter how it tried to uh, you know, explain what was happening here... I don't think it was ever going to satisfy audiences because there was already so much contradictory information going into this story. And it also had the problem of trying to lead into the IVX crossover that it's just too much to, to put on this one story. So, you know, when we get, you know, if you read, read this maybe before all of these new series had come out, Um, And you got this sort of relaxed story about Inhumans trying to stop the cloud, interacting casually with with the extraordinary X-Men, Magneto getting involved. You know, like this stuff just seems like kind of like normal every issue storytelling. It doesn't seem like an event, quote unquote, Um, but it has to fulfill that. And I, you know, I I I agree with you. I think you're right. That's the that's the problem here. Is that in the context, uh, Scott was treated as a war criminal. Right. Um, and I tried to 
I tried to square this circle at one point. Uh, I did a I did an obituary for Scott uh, that was ran on AIPT. Uh, I remember maybe that three years ago. Yeah, and I reread the book for this because I wanted to put myself in universe. What would people think of Cyclops? Mm-hmm. And especially in context of these actions here, and there is a case to be made that his actions here look like this guy who has overthrown several nations uh, and seceded from the United States of America at one point, uh, did destroy the religious artifact of a group of fairly peaceful people um, who I'm assuming the wider world don't know were longtime slave owners, um, and he died uh, trying to assassinate a dude. And okay, also I don't think Scott did like on the Marvel Universe scale of things, that bad. Black Bolt also tried to overthrow the United States once, so like I don't know why there's a lot there, but there is there is a there's a couple of lines here that I think really work. Uh, near the end of his, you know, fake out death, Scott says, "It doesn't matter what's true; it matters what's believed," mm. and that's a that's a very powerful line that I think was them trying to explain what they had set up previously that you know what who who cares what actually happened here the inhumans made it seem like it was worse than it was which that's reading into subtext uh and none of that actually made it to the page yeah i uh, there is like you said there are things here that could have been extrapolated into something like as big as what was described previous you know it's not like cyclops doesn't murder alchemy for his purposes he does well he doesn't murder he doesn't so much that a mutant died on a mission to save mutant kind which i would i would argue happens a lot i think that happened to john proudstar gets red shirted you know what i mean but you know well red clouded (laughs) good one oh my god um i also think the thing and we talked about this when we did ivx i think the the heel turn and on the last page emma is kind of drawn as if she's a little bit losing it and like yep. that doesn't work it, it just doesn't it doesn't it, work for her character and she would handle you know she she might handle this situation the way she did in terms of you know projecting scott but the idea that she would not handle his like actual death with grace and turn like Looney Tune, that that doesn't I work. Think, I think there is a compelling story about Emma dealing with grief and the person who treated her like a person uh, when a lot of people weren't. I sure. think there is, in losing him, and they weren't even a couple at the time, so she just lost someone that she can't even put words to their relationship. I think that there is a compelling story there and I don't think that's the story that they went with. And I think it runs very false to her entire ethos in this story, which is I made him an idea and ideas never die, which is a powerful mm-hmm. line and really works. And I think speaks to a lot of like the good of Cyclops as a character and what they were trying to do with him. Sure. Uh, but what is that idea? Well, that idea wasn't doing a genocide. I'm gonna, I, uh, I, 
I guess. Like I don't. Th- I don't think anything about Cyclops has ever said I'm pro genocide. No, no, no. I feel no, like no. he's anti genocide at every turn. I'm not disagreeing. Except with you. for that thing with the scrolls. Except for that thing with the scrolls. <laughs> okay, that time, that time, he did unleash the legacy virus on the yeah. scrolls. That was all, bad. He shouldn't all have done I'm that. pointing out is that there is no, um, there's no continuity to any yes. of this. There's to no the continuity between what is happening here versus what had been happening in the stories uh, that had been published for the year and a half, two years previous. There's no continuity through to IVX even. There's and a part. There's a part in Extraordinary X-Men where Magic gets incredibly mad at Sunfire for helping Cyclops do what he did. Uh, Liana, you were right there also. Right. And Jeff Lemire, you wrote that story, so it's not like you forgot. Well, it all adds up to my, my thought here is they didn't know. I've said this before on the show. I do not think that they really had this all figured out. I agree. And then they were asked to figure it out in a certain time period, and they had already taken it too far. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. They didn't know when they started writing. Honestly, I have no problem with that. I have absolutely no problem with, okay, we're going to figure out this later. It's a mystery box. Um the issue is they didn't go back and make sure that it lined up with all the other stuff that they wrote. Right. Like this is not Zach being the continuity nerd. This is the, I'm reading this story and it says it's going to give me the answer to all of these questions that you brought up. Not me. You did it. Jeff Lemire. (laughs) You did. And Charles Soul didn't do much. Let's be fair. Jeff Lemire, you brought all these questions up and then Jeff Lemire, you, you didn't, you didn't even answer them right. Like, right. you didn't answer the questions that you brought up. You you made a whole new thing here. Yeah. And that's frustrating. Also, Adam, I'm going to be honest. Like, this is not just uh, me disliking the Inhumans due to their role in uh, sidelining the X-Men for several years and then being in a really bad TV show. Everyone forgets just how bad that Inhuman show was. Well, that's because nobody watched it. I watched the first episode and the last episode, and both were dreadful in beautiful different ways. I didn't even see the part where I believe it was Karnak hangs out on a weed farm for a while. Oh, okay. That, that's a thing. That made yes. <laughs> um, hey, the new Inhumans, can you name any of them? The ones that appear in here, can you name any of the new Inhumans? Like no off the top looking, of my head? Off the top of your head. The well, new know, Inhumans. Mm, I know Crystal is in this, but she's not in Crystal. original. She's an original. Crystal doesn't count, and Gorgon, who they made look like Professor Xavier in a wheelchair, does not count also. Yeah, because his legs are broken, I think. Um, no, I can't. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, <laughs> the, 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 the new, new inhuman in this story who can make everybody fall asleep. His name is like Doze or something like that? It's Downer. His name Downer. is Downer. And they make fun. They make fun of a character right before he chooses his name to like oh you better choose your own name because if you, if if someone else chooses your name you're gonna end up like nur who has a dumb name <laughs> and you are nur oh my and god and he went with downer and the book doesn't even lampshade that it thinks it's a cool name i guess i guess a- anyway we were looking for uh the the classic marvel characters of naja flint iso or grid okay you you remember them. I assume they all died when Donny Cates murdered all of the Inhumans. Um, 
I assume so, and I am not going to waste too much brain power remembering them, uh, just for the purposes of this mini, which is a uh, a well-drawn, confusing mess. So we should probably rank this. What do you think? We should. Um, you mentioned ranking things, and we've been ranking a lot of things, Adam. Uh, in fact, we have been ranking 504 discrete X-Men stories on our big old list uh, encompassing all of the X-Men stories of all time. The first story on our list, the best X-Men story of all time, is House of X, Powers of Ten, a story that I only think gets better as we get farther from it. Uh, it still rules. 100 is Excalibur, good. Mojo, Mayhem. 200 is Wolverine and the X-Men, the Hellfire Saga. 300 on our list is X-Men 206. Freedom is a four-letter word. 400 on our list is Exiles 100, 500 on our list is NYX 1 through 7, and then the Dracos at the bottom. Okay. IDX, IDX down at 405. 403. 405, excuse me. I think this um, is better. This is better than IVX. In fact, there was a there was a running joke on the uh, on the subreddit that I mon- modded at the time mm-hmm. about IVX. And the joke was that IVX was the event so that ended so poorly that it made Zach go back and retroactively unrecommend Death of X. Because I <laughs> I held on hope that they could pull it off. That's really funny. I would in the listen, I've said it multiple times on this podcast. The zero in number one issue of IVX are really good. Sure. It's there, the, there's... It, it's the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I've also uh, highlighted here 362 is where we have the first arc of Extraordinary X-Men. Better than This is better than that. Okay. So it, we are... It, it has a plot and it doesn't look bad. Sure. Um, better or worse than Deadly Genesis at 350. It's better than Deadly Genesis, I think. I, I think we're in the right... Era, I think though. we're in the right. Like, so we're in the right we, spot. We talked about this. We've talked about this. I am probably more likely to look at this as a standalone for issues, where you are more likely to look at it in the larger context of things. Like that's just where it's cemented in our brains. I can do so, both, but I, I I have to put it in the context of what was happening, especially given the who wrote it. You know. And when it came out, and just as a whole baffling choice, like set of choices by writers and editors, mm-hmm. it's so weird. Anyway, so uh, at, not too far up on that is number three hundred thirty-three, which is Generation Hope one through four. The future is a four-letter word, and I think mm. the Generation Hope story is better than this. I would agree. Um, at, but at three forty-one is Uncanny X Men X Core, mm-hmm. uh, which is that. Uh, Bishop has an X-Force of old Generation X students. And right. I think this is better than X-Core. Okay. All right. So uh, I don't think it's as good as a 338, the IVX tie-in issue. Uh, all new X-Men. Of all new X-Men. Number 17. Sure. Sure. I don't. So. I remember. That's the one with Bobby and Romeo kiss. The 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 love interest in human that they named Romeo. Yes. Jeez, that was a bad choice on their part. Um, yeah, okay, that one's probably better. Uh, X. 
this isn't as good as Uncanny X-Men 303 going through the motions. Uh, the comic where if you only read one X-Men comic this month, it must be this one. <laughs> it's not as good as that. Uh, no, it's not. Um, how about Divided We Stand at 340? It's better than Divided We Stand because Divided All We right. Stand ends up being a weird hippie story. Yeah. Like, remember, that's true. everyone thinks they're hippies? Yep, yep. All right, so this is our new 340. This is our new 340. It's Death of X. Um, a story that I think. I mean, I think it's worth reading for his Absolutely. sake. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful art. Uh, yeah. Even. Even Javier Garon, uh, this is early Javier Garon, but dude's killing it. Dude's yeah. really doing his doing his darndest here. Uh, between really this good. and the stuff that he pulls in with, uh, what's that thing he did? What's that thing he did? Uh, uh, IVX. Like, yeah, those two. He Javier Garon's the unsung hero of those books. <laughs> right. uh, and I'm very glad that Garon is getting an opportunity to do more and more at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish he wasn't on Avengers because I think Avengers is bad. Yeah. But somebody's drawing it, right? You know? Somebody has to draw it. And yeah. Somebody has it's... to draw the stuff that Ed McGinnis doesn't want to draw. <laughs> uh, so Cyclops is, is dead. And. Uh... I guess he's got to come back. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to come back. Do you know why? Why? Um, because because Cable has to die first. Cable has to kill Cable. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the timeline works, is that someone must be exterminated uh, first. So what is uh, this? Because we've already talked about extermination on the show. So this is not the other extermination, extermination, which is extermination with an X. Right. Uh, this is X-Men, the Exterminated, which was a one-shot uh, that came out after uh, extermination in December of 2018. Uh, it was an uh, oversized issue with two stories. Uh, the main story is by friends of the show, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, with Neil Edwards on pencils and J. David Romos on colors. Uh, and the B story is by Papa Chris, Chris Claremont with Ramon Rosanos uh, doing the uh, pencils and inks, Nolan Wooded on the colors. Uh, yeah. Hey, out. Zach, I, I yeah. bet you like this because this really feels like the next issue of Cable. Yeah, so right here. I'm they touching, can't see that. They can't they see can't, that. They can't see it. <laughs> Folks, I'm touching my page of Thompson and Nadler and Herman Peralta's uh, Cable, where Cable mm-hmm. and Hope hug. Uh, it's a page I think about every day, and I love it so much. And I am incredibly biased because uh, Thompson and Nadler are some of the some of my favorite creators in comics. Like, yeah. it just happened. Talented people. Way. Now, as I once said to Leah Williams while I was very drunk, <laughs> that was a name drop here, but it was a name drop specifically for my friends who were there. Yes. Uh this isn't their best work. I still like it, but it's not their best work. Well, and it's, okay, so this is a standalone one-shot issue, which would seem to indicate that it has, um, I don't know, some like 
importance to it, right? That's usually what we see in a one shot, that this is telling a story that wouldn't just be what you'd see on a monthly basis. But I'm not kidding when it just feels like the next issue of Cable, because all it is about, at least the first story, is Hope going with Jean Grey to all of Cable's bases across the world. They bump into Deadpool. That's about it. Yeah, it's, it's, so there's stuff that I like. Uh, the stuff that I like are the, there's the relationship between Hope, who I think was written very well in that Cable series, mm-hmm. and Gene, who was dead the entire time that Hope was a big going concern. And a lot of people thought that Hope was the resurrected version of Gene in a younger teen body or something, mm-hmm. or as a baby. Um, so I like their dynamic. They hit it off very quickly. You get Jean dealing with the fact that her son died. Yes. You get Hope mourning her father's death. Again, he's already died once for her. Um, so a little unfortunate. Um, you get you get a really good scene where Bishop kind of says, Hey, Hope, sorry about your dead dad. Also really sorry I tried to murder you a lot. Really, yeah, and she's really, basically I, like, I screwed up. <laughs> I'm, I know we've already apologized a little bit, but like, I need you to know that even though I tried to murder your dad a ton, I did not want him to be dead at this point in my life, and it was important that I tell you that because I do want this to be about me. Yes, and she very appropriately tells him to go screw himself, which is great. <laughs> I, I would like to think that even on Krakoa, like, oh yeah. If Bishop ever gets resurrected by the five, that Hope's immediately going to be like, okay, here you go, and punch him in the, like, <laughs> punch him in the face and, like, I still hate you. Yeah. I still just straight up hate you so much. And he's just going to have to take it because he did try and kill a baby a lot. That's right. And it would be completely, uh, like, deserved. So, um, you're right. There are a lot of, like, fun little, uh, details here throughout, um, you know, why Deadpool is there, you know, this idea that they had a, an agreement that they would destroy each other's stashes, you know, is kind of cool. Um, a plot point that does actually come back in it the does. Cable series. Yeah, it about, just came back up in About in young cable. teen Cable. Right, because uh, Deadpool had his arm. Um, you, you have this uh, one quick thing where uh, Gene is holding a cylinder, and inside the cylinder it is young Cable's hat. Um from you know uh adventures right and and what this boils down to is that hope wants to find one of cable's time machines so she can go back and stop what happened and gene's not having it so there's a little bit of a fight but i i do even though it's a little bit slight i do like this idea that it goes throughout this story of hope is having trouble kind of remembering her father's face and just thinking about what his legacy is. And I think, like, you can tell that Zach and Lonnie wrote this from the heart, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, have you read Have you read uh, Zach Thompson's Replacer? I have not. It was, it was a novella uh, hmm. that uh, he wrote for, I believe, Aftershock. Uh, okay. Published it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, it, They say it's a graphic novella. So it's, it's a short one shot. Uh, yeah. Longer than it. Like, it's two and a half issues, maybe, in, like, 20-page increments. Uh, But it's a really good story based on on his life. Uh, He grew up with a disabled parent. Um, 
and there was a lot of fear that came with that and a lot of like you know what who is my parent and am i going to remember them like what what do they leave behind so you can get a lot of you get a lot of the same feelings from this as you do from replacer uh which i really appreciate like i think i think Thompson and Nadler are at their best when they tap into those raw human emotions, mm-hmm. uh, which is again why the why the page from Cable and Hope I have is not of Cable doing a big fight; it's of them hugging. Right. Yeah. So I think there's some heart here, even if it's a bit of a light story. I will say the surprise for me was reading a uh, Chris Claremont joint from when is this coming out? 2019. 2018. 2018. And like. This is pretty good, Zach. Like this Cyclops Corsair thing is kind of a, you know, it's it's not set in the same time period, but it's very similar to the Scott Lobdell dad issue. Um, and it does it, in my opinion, way better. It's specifically set sometime after Uncanny X-Men 201, but before X-Factor number one, mm-hmm. uh, when they moved up to Alaska for a hot second. Um and it's essentially Corsair saying, hey, Scott, get your freaking head in the game. You're being a bad dad. You just right. had a baby. I get it. And listen, bud, not the shining example of good dad here. I I screwed a space skunk for a while instead of dealing with my boys. Get it. You got to be better than me, bud. And I like that because I like the Scott and Corsair dynamic. I, uh, I think that works really well. As far as the story, I think, I think it's nice. I've got nothing. I think it's one of the better things that Chris Claremont has written since the year 1992. Okay. <laughs> I was trying for to think. The year. Waiting for the year there. It's probably one of the best. It's, it's in the top 25% of things that Chris Claremont has written since he wrote X-Men number three. I'm just going back, like, you know, I'm making a checklist in my head of things that I've I've read of Claremont, like, even just within the last five years. And at this point, I feel like he leans so heavily on, you know, tropes and things that he's, you know, just known for doing. And this, on the other hand, it, it almost feels like a classic X-Men backup story, you know? It- it does. I do think it does fall on the trope of Chris Claremont still really pissed about X Factor. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But it doesn't like introduce new characters. It no. doesn't have like weird sex stuff in it. You know, like it it's it's not trying to re the closest it comes to trying to do in any kind of reinvention is this idea of cyclops like having i guess what he describes as like shattered memories or whatever and which isn't isn't untrue like that's not right that that's something that he explored in the uh classic backups from the uh um, the orphanage I right forget. right so speaking i think of, that, speaking of which i do want to uh put a little plug here if folks want to hear about uh the the wild tale of X Factor number one, uh, and all of the uh, all of the rumors and things that people have said, or all of the anecdotes about X Factor number one. Uh, Austin Gordon wrote a really good piece. Oh yeah, uh, on Comics XF about that. Um, that I don't, not to take anything away from Austin. I don't think any of the information is new to people who 
are like obsessed with this kind of stuff and have heard you know stories from here or there. I thought Dazzler was going to be out. Well, I heard that Sarah Gray was going to be. But what Austin does is lays out the story sequentially and like as a good thing, and he has an amazing framing device for it. Like it's one of my favorite pieces we've published in a while. Uh, it's great. So go check that out. Yeah, uh, it's it ties in with this pretty heavily, actually. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we've got, you know, a heartfelt but kind of slight story from uh, Zach and Lonnie. Uh, we've got a you know, what I think is a pretty solid backup from Claremont. Let's uh, let's try and rank this puppy. Now, we put extermination um, at 149. This is hey, not. Here- as good as that. Yeah, here's the thing. This doesn't have Pepe Larraz art. No, uh, the art's still Pepe, pretty good. Pepe Larraz, yeah, but it doesn't have Pepe Larraz art. Uh, no. Uh, that That's a different level of things. Uh, <laughs> I true. don't think it's as good as number 200, the Hellfire Saga from Wolverine and the X-Men. No. No, I don't either. Um, um, is it better or worse than Ultimate X? Jeez, I think Ultimate X on its own as, as a mini series um, is actually not bad. Like it kind yeah. of introduces a lot of new things. It has fun art, Adam's art. Uh, so I would think that I would say that's better. Uh, okay, I'm fine with that because right below that is Uncanny X Men Disassembled that was going on at the same time. Hmm. Uh, I think Disassembled is probably on par with this. This assemble does have some really good art. And it's got some clutch art. You got some Mahmoud Asar. You got some RB Silva. You got yeah. some Perry Perez. There's some yeah. good stuff in that. I'd agree. Um, I think we're definitely in the right spot. I just, there's something that's just not as um, memorable, you know, yeah, this is, about this. this. Is a, it's, it's slight. Here's what I'd say. At number 243... We have X Force Forty Four, which is the first Purple Era issue. Mm-hmm. And At two forty two, wait, wait, wait! Have... Look what's below that. Oh, <laughs> Uncanny three ninety one, Dad. Okay, but this is also not better than that time that Adam X the Extreme went camping, which is right under that. Is it? I'm looking just a few spots down. It's also not better than that time Wolverine fought sentient cocaine. No, it's not. We keep it's, slipping here. Um, uh, I don't think they. I don't think Zach and Lonnie would even be mad if I said it's not not as good as Here Comes Tomorrow from New X Men. Um, I think this is better than Wolverine Noir at two fifty four, though. Yes, I would agree. Um, but probably not as good as I Magneto, where Magneto has an octopus island. <laughs> yes, so this is going to be our new two fifty four, the Exterminated. And now, for the story that was actually requested on this dang episode. <laughs> uh, it's Uncanny X-Men Annual from 2019. Uh, it's the story where Cyclops returns. Right. Uh, through a very sort of silly gimmick. Um, so we knew at the end of uh, Extermination that Cyclops had been brought back. Um, we saw him drawn in all of his glory, holding the beer, um, hanging out at Team Cable's house. 
wherever that may be. Um, but we didn't know how. And so this is that explanation. And uh, you want to give just a quick rundown on how this works out? Okay. So in the Silver Age, Scott Summer saves some guy from a rampaging robot. Does matter. Yes. Hold that thought. That guy matters. And, and the guy who was doing the rampaging robot matters. Yes, that's but true. But Cyclops doesn't. Uh, Cyclops dies to death of X. Uh, young teen Cable is very sad about his dad. Uh, he's sad. He's, he's, he has sad dad feels. Um, and he goes and he finds the dude that Cyclops saved that one time and said, Yo, I know the future. I need you to build this Phoenix box from Avengers versus X-Men Secret Adventures tie-in. And I need you to make it super small so I can hide it in uh, a dead guy's chest. And he said, what? I said, it's for Cyclops. Okay. So the guy does it. He says, you have five years. Then Cyclops dies. Then Kid Cable gets this Phoenix capturing thing and finds Cyclops' dead body and puts the uh, Phoenix capturing box inside of Cyclops' dead body. And then when the Phoenix resurrects him in... Jean Grey, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Resurrection. Uh, for a hot second, uh, he keeps some of the Phoenix Force, and Cyclops comes back to life. He's like, "Oh dang, I'm alive again! I missed all of <laughs> X Men Red. What happened?" Oh, and Red's the color I see. I think all X Men are X Men Red. Right, and then because this is a comic book, that's not enough. So uh, when Mister I control robots with my helmet comes back to try and kill the engineer who makes uh, Cyclops's pacemaker, his Phoenix pacemaker, Cyclops saves the day, and he has like a heroic instead, moment. instead of going to fight X Man at the end of Uncanny X Men Disassembled. Yes, that's an important distinction because by the time Which he gets there, they're gone and it They're leads, all in the age of X-Man. Right. It disassembled is now over and it leads directly into him and Wolverine in uh everybody's favorite run of We're going to deal with we're going to deal with that at some point, but not right now. <laughs> no. I have Again, that was another story that for a while I really thought they were going to pull through and I really thought they were going to pull it off and they didn't and that disappoints me. Uh, you can go listen to the episode, uh, the interview that I did with Matt Rosenberg back uh, when when uh, his Uncanny ended, if you want some uh, context uh, for some of that, because I think that's a really interesting thing if you want to hear more about that. But we're not ranking that story. No. Uh, we're, ranking, we're ranking this Ed Brisson and Carlos Gomez annual. Uh, now, we talked about Brisson. Uh, he's a guy I'm a bit hot and cold on. Sure. Uh, but in general, I tend to like uh and carlos gomez has been like an up-and-comer for the last couple of years and i feel like he's i feel like he's like one book away from really knocking it out of the park and yeah. i think he does a really good job here well he he gets to do both he he does sort of a you know a house style um that's that's in line with kind of like a pepe or an rb um, but then he's also doing this, like, it's more through the colors than anything else, but he's also Which kind of guru EFX does the colors, right? Great, great coloring here where he kind of does this, uh, silver age, uh, part of the story, which is kind of fun. Um, I, I think that 
<laughs> what Brisson does to <laughs> to bring Cyclops back, I gotta hand it to him. It's pretty freaking clever. It's stupid, it's... and it's it's, but it's it's the kind of thing that like does make me want to stand up and give like a, a nice clap to because it's, it's not the kind of thing book I, stupid right is what it is right because everybody wanted to know how he came back and like you you would want some sort of epic explanation and he gives you the phoenix pacemaker and it's like okay hey cool let's it's, just keep moving it's, <laughs> it's the kind of pedantic roy thomas kurt busick style uh, we're going to make all of this work like we're, you know, Mark Grunewald or whatever. And then he pulls it off in a way that makes it very clear that he's like, listen, you just wanted Cyclops back, right? Like, we didn't <laughs> care. We just had to undo this and yes. make it all work. Yeah. Are we it's, good? It's also kind of amusing that um, what Teen Cable does to bring Cyclops back is the exact same thing as, as what... Hope wanted to do to bring adult cable back in, you know, his time travel shenanigans. It's just that, you know, like it I'd serves like to the, think <laughs> it serves the plot more to have Cyclops back. I like to think that wasn't unintentional because uh specifically cable died because cable was screwed around the timeline and that was bad. Right. Right. <laughs> no, but that's it's it's an it's just an interesting, interesting parallelism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like it. I like I, it. I don't know. It just feels silly, you know. And kind oh, of, but it's good, silly. Like it is. There's a there's, there's a, a cleverness to this, this that I that I admire. You know, I've talked about this. There's a level of like, like Jason Aaron saying a bunch of wacky ideas and holding up a spork and saying, isn't this funny? And I don't find that funny. And then there's a level of, oh, this is good comic book stuff. This is this is dumb and this is just for us nerds who are way too into this. And I know I'm being pandered to, but also I like it. I, I don't dislike it. I think that the weakness of this issue comes down to this idea of the engineer versus the, the the villain of the story, which is a Silver Age silly thing that it, it lacks a lot of depth. You know what I mean? Yes. So if yes. there was something there that had a little bit more meat on it, I think this could be more successful because I love the time travel like stupid gimmick. I think that that's really fun and and smart. Um, but, you know, once he finally gets something to do, uh, it, it kind of falls apart for me. Um, so we have disassembled at 229. Yes, uh, I think this is better than disassembled. And I liked this better than disassembled when it came out. I would agree. Um, I would have, I would be very hard pressed to put this ahead of like 217 Hearts of Darkness, which is also it's kind of like silly It's not better than Hearts comics. of Darkness. It's not better than Capwolf. Yep, that's a 218. Um, it's not better than 221, which is that cable recap of all of his history story, but it's ooh, drawn really pretty. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, I think it's probably better than Jump the Shark at 224, though. It is probably better than Jump the Shark from uh, Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Um, 
Is it better than it was a dark and stormy night, that Power Pack uh, Morlocks comic? Uh, the X-Men version of that Power Pack Morlocks comic? I would say yes. I would say yes. And then above that is Ultimate Comics Hawkeye. I think Hawkeye is better. So, yeah, I mean, this this comic doesn't have Zorn, much less identical twin brother Zorn Zorns. with a Z. <laughs> All right, so this is our new Yeah, you two. know Zorn of the Celestials and Zorn of the Eternals? <laughs> right. I'm... Zorns, the, the Zorns are coming back in uh, an upcoming issue of Way of X, I assume in just a cameo, but I am I am tickled about that, and I do great. want to see, I want to see Cyspuria writing the Zorns, because the last time we got Zorn content, it was in Hawksbox. And Zorn said, ah, sweet annihilation. How long have I waited for this day? <laughs> oh. It's good. Cyspurrier and Zorn's plural are probably the best co- combination you could, you could get aside from Dr. Nemesis. So. Listen, there's going to be a lot of people who find it incredibly insufferable. And I have nothing to say that they are wrong. I get it. <laughs> it's off to a good I start. I'm excited. Hey, you know what? For talking about uh, death stories, I thought this was a pretty fun episode. I think it was fun, and I think we have to thank Matthew Thornton for this. Uh, Matthew went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, threw a couple of dollars our way, and said, folks, I'd like you to uh, talk about this stuff. And it was great. Uh, Every dollar that goes to the comicsxf team goes to uh, someone on the team. Uh, Most of it goes towards our writers who are doing incredible work over on the site we've had some really fun really fantastic stuff uh go up in the last little bit uh that i am so thrilled about uh there's a there's a great uh video slash article series where cat purcell uh eats hot sauces <laughs> oh my i watched God. over my lunch lunch break today which is I, great i really hope that because when I found out that Cat was into hot sauce, I was like, Cat, you got to do something with this. And I'm so glad uh, that Cat followed through and did that. Because it's like, the, the videos alone are just amazing. They really are. I got to interview a band I really liked about their comic. Uh, we did that really good Austin Gordon piece about X Factor. There's a lot of good stuff on the site. Go check it out if you're not already on that site. Uh and if you want to support all that good work and give right back to the people who are doing it, Comics XF on Patreon, uh, throw a couple monies our way and we'll be in good shape. Hey, Adam, what's up? Where can people uh, find you? What are you guys doing? can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, Instagram at Adam.Rec. And uh, what do we got going on uh, next week, Zach? We are net- we're getting closer and closer to 200, aren't we? We are on the road to 200. Uh, but we have to take a detour into merry old Scotland uh, mm-hmm. next week as we do multiple tales of Rain Sinclair thinking she's a princess. <laughs> and one where she might actually be. Yeah, okay. Let's do that. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience.